0: Uh, hi, uh, welcome to Con 302. My name's Jeremy Cowan, and uh, we're here for the session Building a CICD Pipeline uh, for Containers on Amazon uh, ECS. Um, my name is Jeremy Cowan. I'm a solutions architect, and uh, presenting with me today is uh, Ajit Zadankar from Edmonds, uh, who's going to tell you all about uh, how they're using ECS to help folks like you and me find the perfect car. So um, before we get to that, however, um, here's what you can expect from uh, this session. First, we're going to establish a baseline uh, by reviewing the definitions of continuous delivery, continuous uh, deployment, and continuous integration. Uh, Once we get through that, um, we'll explore each of the stages in the pipeline and the ways that you can create automated CI-CD pipelines uh, with ECS. Um, We'll then have a look at a few reference, uh, reference architectures uh, before I finally hand the, b- the baton to Agit. All right, so let's begin. So it's useful to define a few terms that uh, I'm going to be using throughout today's presentation. Uh, the first is continuous integration. Uh, continuous integration is the practice that involves integrating your code <coughs> into a shared repository multiple times a day. Uh, these check-ins are verified through a build process that allows you to, d- to detect defects in your code. Now... Uh, The idea is that by doing small, frequent releases, you eventually spend less time troubleshooting and more time uh, building new features. Now for teams that are doing iterative software development, continuous integration is really essential. Um, Continuous delivery, on the other hand, is an approach that involves uh, creating a deployable asset that can be released to different environments at any time from test to staging and then on to production. So, if continuous, continuous delivery involves building a deployable asset that can automatically be deployed to, say, a non production environment, what's the difference between continuous delivery and continuous deployment? Well, under continuous delivery, uh, a developer or a member of the development team usually determines uh, whether that update should be a pushed to production, whereas continuous deployment, the release to production happens automatically without explicit approval from a human. Now, this is generally done only after the update has passed an exhaustive battery of tests. Now, uh, the graphic on this slide helps illustrate what we've been talking about here. Um, You can see which phases of the development cycle are part of continuous integration, uh, continuous delivery, and continuous deployment. With continuous delivery, there's a manual approval step. Uh, or a gate before the update is released uh, to the production environment now the important thing here is uh... the opportunity for uh... getting fast frequent feedback which occurs throughout the development cycle uh... and it's this feedback that helps organizations adopt an iterative approach to development so uh... what problems does c-i-c-c-d address um, first it, it shortens your time to delivery because it automates the build uh, test and deployment phases of the software release cycle. And um, accelerating your release cycle is especially advantageous in today's climate where disruption uh, through innovative software has uh, become commonplace. Now, CICD reduces uh, uncertainty around changes uh, because the changes tend to be smaller and they've gone through an extensive uh, battery of tests before uh, they're released to production. Additionally, uh, frequent check ins and builds give you the opportunity to get near instantaneous feedback, which you can use to fix issues earlier in the release cycle. So, all of that's great, but how do containers relate to continuous delivery? Um, for starters, uh, containers can be deployed quickly, uh, and the reason for this is really threefold. Um, first, container images are comprised of file system layers that get cached on, onto Docker hosts. Uh, and when you update a container, only the layers that have changed are uh, pushed to the hosts Now, pushing only the deltas um, rather than the whole image reduces the amount of time needed to push an update um, second containers share the OS kernel of the hosts that they're running on um, so they tend to be significantly smaller than virtual machines um, and they start uh, a lot faster because uh, they're not running a, a full operating system And third, um, all your application dependencies and configuration are packaged in the container, so you don't need to spend a lot of time writing complex uh, scripts to install and configure the application when you deploy a container to an environment. Now, uh, Docker also allows you to apply tags to containers, um, which you can use to track a variety of things, such as uh, the build version, uh, the git hash, the stage that the container is currently in. Um, The latest version of Docker's um, image image manifest specification, um, now allows you to separate an image's tags from uh, the secure secure hash of the image's layers, um, effectively giving you the ability to update an image's tags uh, in place. Um, This gives you an opportunity to build automation that uh, simply updates an image's tags uh, when the image is ready to be promoted to the next uh, stage in the development cycle. And your pipeline can look at these uh, tags and determine which environment to deploy uh, the container to. And then finally, uh, containers run consistently uh, when they're deployed across different environments precisely because all of the application dependencies and configuration are, are packaged along with uh, the container. Now, uh, a common workflow for Docker involves uh, three, three stages, essentially, uh, build, test, and deployment. Uh, and adherence to these stages Uh, allows applications to quickly travel through the whole life cycle. It also simplifies the adoption of DevOps. Uh, From a build standpoint, Docker provides a standardized uh, and consistent way to build containers using Docker build. Um, This differs from traditional deployments where you typically had to uh, package an application before it could be deployed. Um, For those of you who have worked with before you may have heard how uh, containers are analogous to shipping containers and uh, I think it's actually a useful analogy because before the advent of of shipping containers um, goods loaded onto ships in a particular order because the containers were of uh, different sizes and shapes Um, when um, uh, when that was standardized with shipping containers um, the order in which ships were loaded um, really became irrelevant uh, because um, uh, goods were now uh, packaged in, 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 a standard, in a standard way. Um, so although uh, Docker doesn't provide a, uh, a built-in framework for, for testing containers, uh, it's relatively easy to perform tests both inside the container uh, and, and against the container, which we'll have a look at a little later in the presentation. Um, another nice thing about containers is that they're, they're lightweight, Um, That is that they consume uh, relatively few resources on your machine, so um, you can often smoke test your whole application stack uh, on your laptop, which is uh, really convenient as a developer. Uh, Moreover, once a container uh, passes all your tests, it should run consistently as it's moved from environment to environment because the artifact that you deploy into a testing environment is the same artifact that you deploy uh, to production and uh, developers like containers because um, they insulate them from how services work uh, and how they're deployed. Also, their their builds effectively become a a versioned container image that's easily transportable and deployed through a container orchestration service like ECS. Now, as you can see, the the Docker workflow aligns really nicely with continuous integration uh, and delivery. A typical CI-CD cycle is comprised of four stages, uh, source, build, test, and production. The source phase involves uh, checking in your code into a shared code repository like Git or uh, AWS CodeCommit. And during the build stage, um, your application code is compiled, and a Docker file is used to copy the compiled asset into the container using Docker's add or copy commands. A Docker image is then uh, built from that Docker file and then pushed to a a container registry, like Docker Hub or uh, the Elastic Container Registry or or ECR. Uh, During the testing phase, you can perform tests that both uh, run inside or or against the container. And then finally, when you reach the the deployment phase, it means that your testing is complete and uh, your update is ready to be released to production. So um, let's have a look at each of the stages a little more closely. Um, The source phase involves checking in your code uh, into a shared code repository like uh, Git or CodeCommit, which is a uh, fully managed compatible service from uh, AWS. With uh, CodeCommit, all the files that you push to a CodeCommit repository are encrypted using a, a KMS key for added security. Um, not surprisingly, it integrates with uh, other AWS services like CloudWatch Events, um, which you can use to uh, trigger actions as code is being checked in uh, to the to the repository. Um, so, for example, using uh, CloudWatch Events, you can, can you can trigger a function to do a build on a feature branch instead of uh, waiting until that feature is merged into the into the main. Uh, and as of last week, CodeCommit now supports pull requests, um, which you can, you can use to integrate changes uh, from, uh, from other people on your team. Um, you could also use uh, IEM for assigning granular permissions to your repositories. Um, and another advantage to using these uh, source control tools is that they allow you to audit uh, changes to your code over time. Uh, and, of course, there are other uh, solutions besides uh, code commit that you could use here, like uh, GitHub Enterprise and uh, Bitbucket. So, uh, doing frequent check-ins a day it's uh, a core principle of CICD this uh, helps keep your change rate low uh, which helps reduce the overall risk associated with introducing uh, changes um, with fewer changes in each release at least uh, it's theoretically easier to unearth uh, bugs before they get released to production um, it also gives you an opportunity to get uh, feedback about uh, your changes relatively quickly uh, and change course if necessary as for best practices consider storing your docker file in the same um, repository as your application code uh, co-mingling them t- by co- co-mingling them together uh, you don't have to evaluate which version of various repositories can be used together uh, moreover by keeping them together you can rebuild any container version you may need at any time Um, If you're using a compiled language like Java, uh, store that asset in a separate versioned repository and then use Docker's copy command to copy the asset into the image at build time. Uh, Lots of build tools support this, uh, like Jenkins, for example. Um, And then finally, and uh, this may seem overly obvious, but uh, keep code for building your container infrastructure and your pipeline separate from your uh, application code. AWS offers a, a variety of services to help you build automated CICD pipelines, including uh, CodeBuild, which is a managed build service that uh, compiles your source code. Uh, you can use it to run unit tests uh, and then create assets that uh, are ready to be deployed, including Docker containers. Um, we recently released a VPC endpoint for CodeBuild which is important for customers who uh, are using private source code repositories in their VPCs and and don't want uh, their traffic to traverse an Internet gateway. Um, That said, there are lots of other build systems uh, aside from CodeBuild that you could use here, like Jenkins, uh, which has a variety of plugins for integrating with uh, different systems. Uh, Now, when you use CodeBuild, uh, you provide it with a build specification. That uh, build specification includes a list of instructions for building the asset, Uh, These instructions are divided into several phases. Um, That can include instructions for, say, logging into a Docker registry and then tagging and pushing uh, the container to the registry once the image is built. Um, You could also run unit tests like uh, Mocha as as part of uh, your build as well. Um, And here's an example of what a uh, typical build specification for a container would look like. Um, During the pre-build phase, uh, Codebuild gets credentials for logging into the container registry. Uh, in this example, we're logging into ECR. Uh, next, it builds and uh, tags the container, and then pushes that uh, to a Docker registry during the uh, post-build phase. <coughs> so, when uh, building containers, there are a handful <laughs> of best practices that uh, you should do or try to adhere to. The um, first is to tag output artifacts to source control revisions. Uh, in other words. Tag your containers with the git SHA or the, uh, the version generated by the build system. Uh, try to avoid using uh, latest or production tags as uh, these can mask what version is actually deployed uh, and make it harder to roll back uh, to an earlier version. Optimize your build by uh, removing non-essential files from uh, your containers, and you could do this by adding a, a docker ignore file to the same directory as your docker file. Uh, when you use docker ignore, you're basically telling docker Uh, which files and directories to exclude from the build, uh, which will increase your build's performance. Um, You should also try to uh, organize your Docker file in such a way that the layers that frequently change appear at the uh, bottom of the file. And also, uh, try to co-locate the build system with its artifact repository, um, so you don't have to push or pull uh, data over long distances. Um, And then finally, uh, be sure to scan your images for common vulnerabilities, Docker's beginning to do this, if you've looked at Docker Hub recently, um, and rebuild your container images when the base image changes. Um, testing allows you to, uh, to verify application updates across a variety of different dimensions. Uh, for instance, you can, uh, you can do unit tests or load tests, integration tests, and so forth. Uh, fortunately, testing a Docker container is not much more complicated than uh, testing the application itself because all the application dependencies are packaged with the container. The primary purpose of all this testing is to help validate application updates and preemptively discover issues before uh, they're released to a production environment. Now, there are basically two types of tests that you can perform uh, when working with containers. Um, you can either run a test inside uh, the container, or you could run tests in catch mode or outside uh, of the container. To run a test inside the container, uh, you build the container and invoke the test suite from uh, inside the container. This can be accomplished by uh, passing commands to a Docker uh, uh, to the Docker CLI during the post-build phase, as we saw when we looked at uh, the build specification uh, for for code build. Uh, and then in this example here, I'm uh, I'm calling a script that I've copied to the container to run a series of tests, and then. Um, I can look at the output from that script to see whether the test was successful uh, or whether it failed. Now, uh, besides running tests inside the container, you often want to run tests uh, against your containers. For example, uh, when doing load to performance tests where you're playing bad a set, a set, of, uh, set of transactions, um, this requires you to deploy the containers to a test environment where those tests can be performed. And as we'll see shortly, ECS is really uh, well-equipped to handle the deployment of your containers across a set of instances where they can be tested with tools like Selenium or JMeter uh, or RunScope. Um, If your application has external dependencies uh, and if those dependencies are environment-specific, like say, for example, um, your service has a dependency on a database uh, and the connection string for that database changes uh, from environment to environment, uh, consider storing those environment variables in a key value store um, like the EC2 parameter store um, or in a third-party solution like console and then uh, write your application to fetch these key value uh, pairs at runtime rather than hard coding them into your, into your application uh, so now on to deployment and the eventual release to production um, deployment should be a repeatable process uh, that produces consistent and predictable results um, as we've heard, containers make deployments uh, simple because of the of the container model. Uh, the container is effectively a standard box with a known set of dimensions um, that can be deployed by an orchestration service uh, like ECS or Kubernetes or Mesos. None of these tools really care about what's in the container. Uh, what matters here is the consistent format that Docker provides. And when it comes to deployment, there are several different options which we'll explore further in the, in the upcoming slides. Uh, these include things like uh, rolling deployments, uh, blue-green deployments, and uh, canary-style deployments. Uh, but Before we uh, look at um, deployment pipelines for ECS, there are a couple of concepts uh, that are uh, needing further explanation. The first is a, a task definition. So a task definition is a set of uh, configuration settings uh, for a container. Uh, or a related set of, set of containers that are meant to be deployed as a, uh, as a unit. Uh, for those of you who have worked with Docker before, task definition is similar to, say, a Docker Compose file, uh, in that it includes uh, the names of each of the container images, along with things like memory, CPU, ports, and other uh, runtime parameters for uh, running the containers. Service definition, on the other hand, um, is a declarative set of instructions for running long-running tasks, like an API or uh, a web front-end. Uh, it typically includes the name and version of the task definition, uh, minimum, minimum and maximum number of healthy instances, as well as uh, auto scaling parameters. It, it could also include some information about the load balancer that's uh, fronting the service. And uh, creating a, a deployment pipeline for ECS Uh, typically involves uh, updating the task definition with the latest version of uh, the container image, followed by an update to the service definition to use uh, the new task definition. Now, to help you get started building a CI-CD pipeline for running containers on ECS, um, several of my peers have built reference architectures that can be found on uh, AWS Labs in GitHub. Uh, This reference architecture that you're seeing here Builds an automated CI CD pipeline using uh, GitHub, CodePipeline, uh, CodeBuild, and, and ECR. Um, when a change is pushed to GitHub, it triggers the pipeline. Uh, the pipeline fetches code from GitHub and then passes it to CodeBuild. Uh, CodeBuild then uh, builds a container from the instructions that are in the Docker file uh, and then pushes the Docker image to an ECR registry. And then in the final step, the pipeline calls a CloudFormation step that updates the task and service definitions, uh, which triggers a rolling deployment uh, of a new task, new task <coughs> across the cluster. Uh, and you'll see that I've also included Jenkins here uh, to show that uh, in addition to using CodeBuild, um, there are other options available to you. Um, now there are several reasons uh, <coughs> why you might want to consider using code pipeline to orchestrate your uh, container <coughs> pipelines. The first is uh, its deep integration with the rest of the CodeStar services like uh, CodeCommit and CodeBuild. Uh, the second is its integration with ECS. So until recently, you had to use a, a CloudFormation action uh, or you had to develop a custom action um, to, um, to update your ECS task and service definitions. Now, for, for many, and uh, I know this, uh, this certainly uh, is applicable for me, uh, learning CloudFormation uh, is a fairly long and arduous process, uh, and uh, it can hinder the rapid development of uh, pipelines for ECS. So I'm happy to announce that uh, code pipeline will be adding an action explicitly for uh, ECS, which takes a set of input parameters like the URL and login credentials for a uh, Docker registry, along with the names of the service and task definitions to update when, it, when a new um, container image is uh, pushed to the registry. Our hope is that uh, this will simplify creating pipelines for deploying services uh, onto ECS. Um, Now that we've finished exploring how to build and test containers, um, let's have a look at the knobs that we have to control how your containers are deployed. Um, When you create an ECS service, you specify minimum and maximum number of healthy instances. And these values are used to control the number of tasks that are replaced at once. Uh, for example, say you have, uh, you've configured a service to run four instances of a task uh, with a minimum healthy percent of 50 and a maximum healthy percent of 100. Uh, when you deploy an update service, ECS will terminate two of the four containers and replace them with two instances of the new task. Uh, once those containers reach a healthy state, the remainder of the older tasks are replaced with the new version of the task. Now, uh, be aware that uh, when the scheduler deploys a new version of the task, your connections to task are, are gracefully drained first before the tasks are terminated and replaced with the new version of the task. And to trigger a deployment, all you really need to do is call the update service API. Uh, and this could be done a variety of ways, uh, directly through the API itself, or through the CLI, um, or through CloudFormation, or even the new uh, ECS. Now these next few slides illustrate what I was talking about. Um, By manipulating the minimum and maximum healthy instances um, You can control how many instances are once So here in this example we start with tasks Instead of the four I used in my previous example Um, Be aware that by setting the minimum to 50% You're uh, reducing your service's capacity I'll be briefly During the deployment There's also a brief period when both versions uh, Of the service are uh, serving requests at once Uh, at least until ECS finishes deploying the new version of the TAT. Um, We'll talk about how you can do blue-green deployments uh, here momentarily. So uh, once the connections to the old tasks are drained, the new version of the task is deployed and it registers itself with the load balancer, bringing the service back to 100% healthy. Uh, Once the uh, new task is in a healthy state, the remaining old task is then terminated Placed with a uh, a new version of the task so uh, we've seen how the ECS scheduler uh, performs rolling deployments of your tasks across the cluster Uh, and while this works for a majority of use cases may not be suitable for all uh, especially if you want to ensure that only one version uh, of your service is serving production traffic at once Uh, this often requires a blue-green style deployment where the new version of your service is deployed alongside the old version Uh, but not serving production traffic Blue-green deployments uh, have several advantages over rolling deployments uh, including the ability to uh, test the new version without impacting production and then quickly rolling back uh, to a previous version uh, when issues are discovered with the new version This can usually be accomplished by uh, manipulating uh, DNS records or uh, through the application load balancer, which we'll uh, see next So in uh, in this reference architecture, uh, we show you how to perform blue-green style deployments using the application load balancer. In this scenario, we have uh, two services, each with their own target group behind the same application load balancer, and we use the application load balancer's host-based routing rules to route requests to each version. Uh, When we're ready to promote the new version of the service to production, uh, we simply swap the listener rules for the two target groups. Here you can see the different host-based routing rules for each of the target groups. The blue service is serving requests uh, at example.com, whereas the green service is responding to requests at next.example.com. After we're done testing the green version, we call a function uh, to swap the listener rules on the ALB, which starts sending traffic for example.com to the green version of the service. Once we're satisfied that the green version is working as expected, we can then uh, kill the blue version of the service and its associated target group. Uh, And canary-style deployments are another type of deployment that uh, it's useful when you want to divert a portion of your traffic to a new version of your service, either randomly or based on a a user's attributes. Now, canaries are often deployed, uh, often uh, employed... Uh, to do uh, A/B testing, where you're trying to identify changes to web pages that increase or maximize a particular outcome, for example, uh, the click-through rate uh, for a banner ad. Um, based on the results of your tests, you can either uh, replace the current running version with the new version of the service, um, or you can keep the current version in place. In this uh, reference architecture here, we leverage Route 53 weights. Uh, to adjust the traffic flow from one ECS uh, service to another. Uh, we start by deploying the green service uh, alongside the blue service, each behind its own application load balancer. Uh, and then we use step functions to gradually transition the traffic from the blue ALB to the green ALB. If the step function detects uh, a, uh, an issue, it will automatically roll back its original configuration. Now, if you'd rather not uh, use these reference architectures or uh, uh, build your own solution, we have some great partners who have uh, who have integrated CI/CD solutions for Amazon ECS. A handful of which appear on the slide, uh, and I'd encourage you to visit them at the partner expo uh, while you're here in town. Um, and now that you've seen several of those uh, reference architectures for building CI/CD pipelines for ECS, I'd encourage you to uh, to give them a try yourself. Um, we welcome all feedback of course uh, including issues and, and pull requests um, you should also consider joining our slack channel at uh, amazon-ecs.slack.com and with that I'd like to introduce Jim, who's going to tell you how Edmonds is using ECS to help folks like you and me find the perfect car thank you Jeremy
1: Hello, everyone. Can you hear me Okay. Check. Good now? Cool. Thanks. Hello, everyone. Uh, At Edmunds, we love helping people find the right car. I'm sure many of you have gone there. Those who have not, check us out. We have a lot of inventory for you guys out there. I am Ajit Zargarpur. I am executive director at Edmunds. I manage infrastructure operations production operations, and I also lead DevOps practices at Edmonds. So I've kept some uh, information for you here. My goal is to give you as much information as you can, grasp, and build your own CI-CD. Uh, We we have been doing CI-CD at Edmonds for over five years now, and we have learned some hard lessons. Hopefully, by sharing those, you can avoid some of the mistakes that we did. Uh, couple things here on the agenda, quickly giving you the context of who we are, what we do, uh, what's, uh, what has been our journey into AWS, uh, into Clouds, uh, our journey into containers, and how this all fits into making CI-CD a very efficient system for us. So some of the interesting numbers that I've collected for you here. Uh, at AdMins, we serve about 200 million page views a month. We have about 20 million unique visitors coming to us uh, every month. We have thousands of partners and franchisees. We have over active, uh, over five million active inventory at any given point of time on the website. Uh, over a quarter billion unique visitors visit us every year, which means, and um, you know, 59% of car shoppers, they visit Edmunds. So, in in all, about six out of uh, ten people we influence when they visit and their buying decision. Edmunds uh, has been into clouds for a little bit. We started exploring. Uh, virtualization back in two thousand and eleven with Zen we started changing uh, we deployed our own private cloud and then late in two thousand and thirteen, we started exploring aWS uh, our, we thought we 'll be migrating in over in three years fully. Uh, we are all in aWS customer and we uh, we basically went into AWS much ahead of the time by middle of uh, to by middle of 2000, late 2014, 15 time frame. Since then, we have been serving all of our production traffic from AWS. And in 2016, we shut down our data centers, And as you can see there. So the reason uh, is why many people ask why clouds, and some of the reasons are pretty obvious. The business growth has been really aggressive for us. Uh, products, uh, we wanted to roll out much faster rate so we can reach out to our end users for the demands that they meet. Uh, we also have a desire for doing rapid experimentation. So in the old school, getting hardware provision into data, store, data center used to take six, eight weeks, and so all of that is gone. And also dynamic infrastructure changes. So even with auto-scaling in our private cloud, we still had to invest a lot of capital into maintaining extra hardware. Uh, so that increased our ongoing infrastructure cost. Uh, We have a public case study out there. We are saving about 70% of our uh, cost by going to AWS, those who are interested in checking that out. Uh, So then, once we were into clouds, uh, containers came in, and why containers? So first of all, uh, it's immutable object. Once you build it, it will run same on your laptop, on to DevBench, WorkBench, or in integration environment, or in production. So there's a consistent behavior. uh, When you're debugging, when you're uh, trying to troubleshoot, uh, it makes it easy. Then deployments are super fast. Uh, to, gi- to give you some understanding of what fast means, before containers, when we were serving uh, artifacts on EC2 containers, sorry, EC2 hosts, an artifact that would take about anywhere from 11 to 17 minutes to get bootstrapped, come, and get ready to serve traffic, now takes about 22 seconds. So that's a magnitude of change when, it, you know, when we look at faster deployment. The faster deployment also helps us with better HA. So if something crashed, another container comes up, and container management softwares are pretty good uh, for that, uh, and we are using ECS. Not only that, uh, we are also using uh, different placement strategies like bin pack and easy distribution. With all of that, we are saving about 30% 30 plus uh, cost by going to these containerizations. We're using uh, ECS as our container orchestration and management platform. Uh, So basically, we migrated all of our services. About 95% of our services that used to run on EC2 are now running on Docker and ECS. Uh, ECS is uh, managing all the underlying infrastructure, deployments, uh, auto-scaling, all of that. Uh, Once the images are ready, they are put into ECR. Uh, And we use uh, CloudFormation and OpsWorks to provision... ECS cluster. Uh, uh, OpsWorce is also helping us configure uh, the logging, the uh, agents, APM agents, or uh, config rules. And then, I would say, except a few exceptions, where some of uh, the core infrastructure, uh, like Elastic and Mongo, everything else, now we, we run on Docker nowadays. Uh, we also looked at a couple container orchestration platform. Uh, we are all an AWS customer. You know, we didn't have a hybrid solution. We are not uh, multi-cloud either. So ECS met our needs. Uh, it, it has automatic scaling. It has easy distribution. Uh, uh, scaling, I told you, it's pretty fast. And then it's well, very well integrated with other services. So in our case, it worked out pretty well. Uh, the downtime uh, of the deployment uh, that usually used to happen before CI, CD, and container was pretty dramatically reduced now. Uh, the AMI upgrades that keep on coming in to improve the Docker new version, that is very easy with ECS as well. So now that we were in cloud, we have Docker and uh, Dockers, we wanted to revamp our CI to, uh, let's see uh, to see if we can get even more out of our uh, infrastructure. Uh, the need for CD was again faster feedback i don 't want to repeat what Jeremy said, but uh, some of the uh, important things are faster feedback, low risk, and how do we identify bottlenecks uh, uh, as soon as possible as soon as the code is in? So those were primary drivers for us to do. This is a conceptual overview of what we wanted to do, uh, and i 'll get to in a couple minutes the next slides where we ended up. So this was our overview of what we wanted to do uh, with CICD uh, admins. The idea was simple. As soon as you write the code, you check in. are uh, automated routine should kick in. Uh, and then deployment should happen in a manner uh, that is that does not impact the services. And once it's out there, how do we manage it? So there's a continuous feedback loop going in uh, to the development wing. A uh, little bit... Uh, understanding of how we are structured on our infrastructure side. Uh, We are multi-CDN, and we are multi-AZ, multi-region deployment. Engine X is sitting at the top. uh, And then, uh, basically, then different environments are in different regions that we serve traffic through. We also do latency-based routing. So uh, people who are coming from different region, they're served from a different region. Now getting into uh, some of the details of how our implementation is, and what we needed to do uh, before we got to a smooth experience on CI CD. So getting a CI and CD part is easy. That's orchestration. You can plumb different tools together, and you have a CI CD pipeline working there. Some of the important concerns are, do I have a CI CD that is really going to catch defects, that's going to prevent mishappenings in production? Would it deploy artifacts in a way that are uh, graceful deployments? And when there are things going bad, then are they gonna remove the bad nodes graceful manner so there is no user impact? So to, to be able to do that, we needed to work and do some heavy lifting to make our platform ready for that. So as you see in the picture, Cloud formation is used to provision the host, underlying host. So when the host comes in, we configure the logging there. We configure Docker agents, ECS agents, and then config rules. So there is a guarantee that all all of hosts look similar. Uh, we also use AWS Inspector just in case we if we want to run the scanning for security purposes. Uh, then we, uh, as Jeremy mentioned. Cloud formation gets very long and very complex, so we ended up using a small tool uh, it 's pretty much API that we trigger so if a developer wants to deploy something it 's a little tool, they come and diff- add different details and automatically creates the task, the service definitions, the auto scaling so we are instead of using cloud formation we we are using that Most of the templates we standardized uh, something that Jeremy mentioned containers. By standardizing the whole shipping industry, changed. Uh, we took we took that little bit to the heart. Uh, what we did was before moving to containers from EC two, we looked at all of our artifacts, different applications that get deployed, and we looked at them in different ways. One is what type of artifacts they are, whether they're Java node or something else, uh, are they web app or they're standalone applications, uh, their back office or their public facing. Uh, so all of those, and we came up with multiple templates. And for each application, we standardized. The idea was once the templates are ready, then the migration will be smooth. And, and that really worked in our favor. So by spending about a month in coming up, templatizing, logging, all of that, it was ready. And once we start migrating, we were up and running in no time. So I would highly emphasize those of you who are looking at migrating to containers and do invest in time and try to standardize, and that will help you a lot. We also use con- uh, configuration by default. Uh, it's also known as config uh, by exception. So our containers are environment-aware. So if you run, run on your laptop, it knows that, oh, it's a laptop versus a managed environment. And based on that, we can invoke the database connection. So a production environment should connect to a particular database connection string or a particular caching layer, uh, and so is the uh, different DNS settings. So, that helps a lot at the development uh, team. You don't have to worry about changing runtime properties. Uh, so, uh, that's part of our templates as well. Uh, auto scaling. Uh, auto scaling is an important piece. Uh, many consider this as an operationalizing aspect. I consider this as a CI/CD aspect. If, even in pre-production environment, you cannot deploy an artifact in a way that you're going to deploy in production, then you're not doing the right thing. You want to be having the consistent behavior. So uh, there's a little bit of nuance involved in auto-scaling. We we tried different things, uh, uh, CPU-based, memory-based, and that served pretty well. But uh, our services were fronted with ELBs until we migrated to ALBs. By the way, that's another uh, really uh, strong thing that you should look at. We are looking at realizing about over $100,000 but just by consolidating and moving to ALBs. So as soon as we started adopting to ALBs, we started uh, getting new metric, like uh, target-based request count. So now we have the request count-based scaling. So if a particular container is getting more requests, then we scale based on that. We also have CPU-based and memory-based scaling, but they are in a backseat just in case if something is needed. And we also have schedule-based scaling. So you can have multiple combinations. And depending on the situation, Uh, One of it will take care of it, and that's what is happening in our case. We deployed the same configuration is deployed in our pre-production environments as well. That solidifies our testing. We 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 can mimic the production behavior more accurately. The downscaling was a little bit of uh, it's pretty interesting there. And when you're managing ECS cluster or any Docker container cluster. Uh, you got to manage two types of scaling. One is the container scaling. Second is the cluster scaling. So, for the instance auto scaling, uh, to make sure that anytime time when we want a container to be auto scaled aggressively, we are keeping a little bit of additional host in our cluster. That way, we can very quickly uh, scale up and not wait for EC2 instance to come up uh, for that. When downscaling. Uh, let's say if you have a scenario when there's a step down and downscaling, the downscaling doesn't work uh, very smartly. What it does is it randomly it will pull up a node down, whether uh, you have the oldest node or newest node, but it, it's not aware that I have a container running on it. So we needed to work uh, a little bit to deal with uh, downscaling nuances. In our testing, we were constantly seeing throttling. So what we do is we have a Lambda function that checks how many nodes uh, in the cluster are there that have nothing running. Before downscaling kicks in, we do a termination protection on the nodes that are running and then we allow downscale to happen. So basically, when downscale happens, it's killing only the nodes that are nothing, uh, they, they have no containers running. So that, that saved uh, us a lot of uh, headache during testing uh, time frame. Uh, we also uh, invested in building a custom Docker uh, build framework. Uh, so as I mentioned, there's uh, templates. We have templates everywhere. Now each artifact has a template where you can mention uh, what Java version you're running, uh, how much memory you need, how much CPU you need. Uh, there are global settings like uh, APMs and others. Uh, and uh, for the, the goal here was to how do we allow developers to focus on one area is how do you code well? If we can externalize all of those properties and keep it in the code, with the code, then there is nothing else that developer needs to do. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, templatization that we do uh, at that layer as well. Very soon, the problem was, how do we have a, re- a registry? where What application, what type of URL we want to serve? So we came up with a, our own, we are calling it a service registry, a, a Docker service registry. Uh, with each application code, uh, developer checks in the URL rules. As soon as the container comes up with those, it registers those URLs on EC2, and Nginx picks it up from there and refreshes it. So we didn't have to write another complex service uh, discovery layer. And it has worked out pretty well for us. Uh, Down the line, we are looking at replacing Nginx as ALB matures, Uh, so we are looking for that as well. Uh, canary <clears throat> so now we have uh, quickly checking where we are we are in cloud we have containers going we have CI CD going we have auto scaling managed uh, that didn't really make us happy o- only thing we could do was automated uh, deployment with rolling deployments or we do ble- blue green but that's not really what we wanted to do we wanted to have continuous deployment in all of en- environments a new application gets deployed, send two, three percent of traffic. If everything goes well, then keep increasing the percentage of traffic. If it's not looking good, then scale it back. So this is where we are at with Canary. Uh, we have any uh, Canary services. We name them stable and the new version. When the new uh, artifacts come up, they by, by default go to the Canary version. And I'll show you another picture very soon. And then there is an automated uh, increase or decrease of the traffic percentage. Uh, we also use a lot of data that we gather from our pre-prod and production environments, and we have built a little machine learning model on top of it that tells us more accurately the state of, uh, state of our artifacts and our testing. So now tying this all to CI, CD back again, this is a, uh, a standard merge request work- workflow we use uh, GitLab. And the idea here is each developer works in a feature branch. Once they're, they're ready to check in their code, they check in their code. Uh, we use Jenkins and CodeBuild both. Uh, thank you, Jeremy, for announcing. We are looking forward to now more to uh, code Build. Uh, in our observation, CodeBuild uh, has been 40% faster than Jenkins when it comes to building Docker images. So I'm pretty excited going there. So developer checks in the code. It goes to Jenkins. Jenkins builds uh, a Docker image. Once the Docker image is ready, uh, we have something called uh, a sandbox environment that 's where it gets deployed it 's a stripped down version of our production environments where developers can show it to buddy, uh, buddy of them or show it to product team and they are working on small changes. Uh, everyone can look at those and when they are satisfied uh, they have done enough testing, then they are ready to merge it back to the mainline once they merge it to mainline, then it gets built a new version and then it is deployed to the uh, integration integrated environment. We run integration tests there. Uh, load test, uh, we mimic, uh, we try to do scale, scalability test, all of that, and then finally through Canary it goes to the uh, production environment. Uh, this model also allows us to have uh, dev leads and uh, all different reviews, and architecture leads, they review all of the code uh, when the code is already deployed in Sandbox. Our tool set there are lots of tools here, uh, some of them are common, and that and Jeremy mentioned uh, on the git we uh, we use GitLab and CodeCommit. commit. we have Jenkins and code build docker registry is ECR we use OpsWorks to provision our hosts uh, we have tools that we developed for ECS API so that we can save ourselves from cloud formation <laughs> uh, for on the pipeline orchestration we have Jenkins Pipeline, uh, blue ocean we also use code deploy we also use code as well. Uh, there's a lot of data that's coming in. We are, all of our artifacts are constantly emitting data that we put into time series database. Uh, we have stats-d style em- data emission, uh, and currently we are using Wavefront. Uh, that's a pretty powerful time series database that has, uh, that has alerting and uh, anomaly detection as well. And finally, we use VictorOps when things go wrong to alert us. So, this is uh, correct and today's representation of where we are with our CI CD. So, developers work in a feature branch. Once they are ready to commit in, uh, the artifact gets deployed to Sandbox. And once it's ready to get merged into mainline, then it gets merged into mainline. Then we deploy it to a dev environment. That's our first integration environment. Uh, we run lots of integration tests. Once those automated tests have passed, Uh, artifact is ready to get promoted to q environment that's where we do scalability testing and load testing we use jmeter for that and once uh, it's qualified there then in production it opens up a canary branch so code gets deployed through canary as long as uh, on the left uh, on the left side on the below the green uh, dials if canary version shows improvement from the previous version it keeps increasing percentage automatically. We use Lambda step functions to increase the percentages. And if something is not looking good, then it starts to gradually decrease it. Now, instead of cutting down straight away to zero, we gradually decrease it, so we know at what point it started to go bad. So in case if it was a scalability problem, then it goes bad at 60% traffic or 70% traffic, we can find what's happening there. As I mentioned, all of the data we store into um, uh, time series database. The idea is to gather as much data and use it to build modelings. Uh, to give an example, if you're deploying an artifact, right when it comes up, it shows a different symptom. Maybe it's building the cache. Maybe it's not ready, it's, it's cold at this time. You, maybe uh, the spring beans are not initialized well yet this time and you might see more number of non-200, but it settles in in a couple seconds. So we don't want Canary to immediately say, no, something is going wrong. So by collecting data, now we have a better understanding of what happens when we deploy something. Uh, So that's just one example. There are many others. You can see Uh, suddenly the number of connections going to a data store increases because there are more number of containers. That also gave us ability to look into how do we scale databases and what kind of provisioning we need. So I I would highly recommend uh, emit the data as much as you can and build modeling to make your CI CD stable. Uh, ultimate goal is you check in the code and not worry about anything else. And if it's failed, it will come back to your desk uh, and it will alert you. Uh, In our case, we alert by all means, email, phone, Slack, When things go wrong, we alert developers all possible (laughs) ways that something is not right at any time. Uh, This is a dashboard of uh, Canary versus stable. So by emitting the data, we know now this is a stable version expected behavior. When Canary is launched, we see them side by side. And there's anomaly uh, detection enabled on it. When things are not looking good, it fires events and alerts. And if it's looking good, then we keep on increasing the percentage. that's a that has saved us a lot earlier we used to monitor it and then let's increase the percentage let's increase the percentage someone had to babysit and monitor it now we don't have to as you can see the green line here in most of not the uh, not the graph but most of the line charts the green line is the new version and it shows improvement so in this case it will keep going increasing the percentage to canary version so with there was a dashboard as a simple example, but we gather a lot more data. Uh, the idea is to use AI for decision making. Uh, eventually, I think from DevOps, we all are going to move to AI Ops, <laughs> uh, if that's a new term. Yeah. But the the goal here is not to worry about those uh, and let your CI/CD framework take care of everything from your check-in and everything after that. So. Currently, we are using AI to find, track, and remove anomalies. Uh, we find them, and it gives us action items right there. Uh, many other times we find those in QA. Uh, there are very few things that we uncover in production. And really have these deep learning uh, data guide your decision making. So uh, before uh, we had all of this, we would have... A lot of scalability and availability-driven problems, uh, I would call them a P1 type of issues, where there is an outage and there are people impacted. We can't serve our pages to, web, uh, to the web users. That used to happen about one every two weeks. And knock on wood, we are going strong uh, eight, nine months without any. So that's the power of applying these tools uh, and containerization, the right auto-scaling policies, having right... Uh, right strategies for deployment, uh, including packaging policies and uh, distribution policies. Now, as I mentioned, orchestration is just one part of the puzzle. But to be able to do CI, CD to a place where it's successful, there are fundamental things that I believe are the true pillars of success. First is invest in better engineering practices, bad in, bad out. If you don't have a code that's really well-written and well-structured, uh, the logic is wrong, then that's what is gonna stall the CD. I hear a lot, uh, with many of my peers as well, we have a CD, but it's always stalled. It's not orchestration engine that's stalled; it's the code that's stalled, and we all write it. So make sure that you have a team that's investing in right engineering practices. The second is, really respect the failures. Uh, tools don't lie, uh, and there's a lot of subjectivity when we look at, we try to find, no, it's failing because And we try to reason it. I think instead of reasoning it, we need to find the reason why it's failing and invest in those. Uh, It's 360 degree monitoring. Sorry, it's looking like 3,600. And monitor everything, right? From hardware to software to code, everything. Also monitor how many times your code is being reviewed uh, when you check in. Also monitor how many times you're testing the code, how many times you're finding the defect. Is there a coverage gap? That's going to make CD successful. Containerization is not going to make it successful. It's just add-on to it. Measure baseline and benchmark. If you don't measure, you don't know if you're improving or not. Uh, Having canary will not necessarily give you benefit if you don't have baseline and benchmarking that you don't measure. And then once you have the data, use AI as much, or ML, uh, or simple algorithms, even, I would say, even simplest as anomaly detection, to find what's going wrong. So you don't have to necessarily worry about uh, finding things at a later cycle. You can catch them much sooner. And most important, have commitment from everyone. without that, a CD is not successful. So you want to have a product team uh, and development team and operations team. Everyone is on board. That the idea is, once you check in, it goes faster and smoother and without any incidents. So that's all I have for you guys that I wanted to share. Uh, But in closing, Uh, The CI, CD, the way I look at it, the goal is, and the objective is, to make sure there's a better developer experience, there's a feature rollout that's smoother, you want to make sure that you're doing it in a way that adds to your availability, and uh, there's a rock-solid DR uh, built into it, and there's a maintainability in it. You You shouldn't be having to waste any time in managing it. And in our case, we are saving about 33% of the cost, and it's simply working. Yeah, so with, of course, we had to put in a lot of effort to get our framework in place. So that's all I have. I have five minutes left for us for any question and answer sessions. But before you go, don't forget to uh, give us your feedback. And surveys are up there on your mobile app. So we'll take any questions if you have any.